0: Hi, this is Jessica Lechanal, your San Francisco curator, and you're listening to No Priscinium, the voice of everything immersive. <laughs> Hey gang, welcome to episode 107 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. This week on the show, our guest is Steve Boyle of Epic Immersive, who's coming on board to talk about their new show at the Rathskeller Club in San Francisco. That would be the Infernal Motel, which is opening up not this weekend, but next weekend. Very excited that I get to see it. But before we get into that, just a couple of things in this slightly shorter show, um, with possibly a longer rant after the interview. Um, But first, the thing we always do, because you deserve it. And that's to say hello to our Patreon backers. Hello, Patreon backers. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, As always, Ross Sigworth is our sustaining supporter. See, look how easy it is to just get your name on every episode of the show. Yeah, you you just got to cough up a bunch of money. Um, Seriously, though, Ross is a superhero for jumping at the level that he did. Joining Ross in the battle to make everything awesome this week is Danny Still and Annie Lesser. Yes, the Annie Lesser of ABC Projects. Uh, Also, Andrew Hefner and Aaron Vanek have upped their pledges. As I always note, this is something you can do. Um, A note to all the Patreon backers, Uh, I've got something special planned for you this month. I sent out a note via Patreon, it's probably buried deep down in your emails, because only a couple of you have responded, it's for the $5 and above backers. i've got a present that i want to give you so uh please check your emails uh please jump onto patreon if you're a five dollar backer and um send me the information that i want to uh get from you uh if you're not a five dollar backer and you want a present well you know what to do um okay Oh, how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, Hi, I'm Noah Nelson. I don't know how to advertise. Uh, That's pretty simple. You go to patreon.com slash no proscenium, and it is there. It is there that you uh, fill out the little thing. Um, There's something else I want to tell you about uh, this time out, and you're going to see this pop up a bit in the newsletters, and... um, we've got we've been talking with them about getting some of their speakers to come in. Uh, there's an interesting conference industry conference coming up in Las Vegas on September 13th and 14th at Mandalay Bay. Uh, it is the future of immersive leisure. This is um, it's a conference that's focused on uh, people inside the industry, uh, you know, VR, theme parks, uh, that kind of jam. Uh, it's the first event focused on the business opportunities presented by immersive technology to the out-of-home entertainment industry. So this isn't about headset VR in that part. Uh, it's and it's not. It's about the out-of-home. It's about the location-based experiences. It's about using this stuff in um, in theme parks, and it's about uh, bringing in some of the theatrical techniques that we talk about. Uh, and this is a business conference on that. Featured speakers include uh, Kevin Boot of uh, New Cities and Walt Disney Imagineering. Uh, you've got D- uh, film director Douglas Trumbull, uh, Christian Diekman, I'm probably destroying people's names because, hi, I'm no one else, and I destroy people's names, uh, who's the vice president of strategic growth at Cedar Fair. Uh, Cedar Fair are the people who own Knott's, and uh, if you're in Southern California, you know what Knott's is, uh, and also like a bunch of other amazing... Um, theme parks uh named after if memory serves cedar fair i'm not your resident theme park nerd i outsource that information to people but i do know that like they own like the place with like the most beloved roller coasters i'm like that much of a nerd someone's gonna be like i just feel like dave cobb right now being like oh god no i I gotta teach you so much it's like yes yes dave you do that assumes dave's listening to the show i i don't know if he is Anyway, there's going to be a lot more focused version of this in the future, and we're going to be hopefully hearing from a few people who are going to be there at Future of Immersive Leisure, September 13th and 14th in Las Vegas. Um, check it out; uh, it definitely looks to be interesting, and uh, we're um, we're we're helping them get the word out. So there you go. That's me being transparent. No, there no money is being exchanged. I want to be clear about that. We're we're helping them. They're you know, helping us mutually beneficial. Come on. No one has any money. This is like a, <laughs> a recurring theme. Why do you think we hit you up on Patreon? Anyway, um, that is what you got in lieu of the, the jump off segment. I've got, uh, I'm saving, uh, Simon for next week. And I have a request from you guys this week, um, which is next week's show. Um, I, I want to be an open forum because I'm out of town. Um, we, Annie Lesser and I recorded an episode, uh, there was lots of interference because it was a very hot night, at Los Angeles, and my neighbors decided to blast the television and I lost my train of thought. And I just do not want to share that with you guys. You know, it's just, it's just not a good episode. Um, I've got another episode in the can that I could run, uh, but I kind of want to hold that for another day. So here's what I want. I want two things from you all. It's going to be open forum. Uh, On the back end of the Steve interview, I'm going to get into some stuff. And so maybe you want to think about those issues. Uh, We'll get there in a minute. Uh, We'll we'll get there in like 45 minutes. Um, But I want you guys to send in voicemails to me uh, just about like what's on your mind right now. I've started to now start off conversations with people with what's on your mind, um, which which is a very effective question. So I'm asking it to you. What's on your mind? Send it in. Uh, if there's something to talk about, we'll talk about if, uh, you just want everyone to know something, you know, are there shows you're seeing, are there issues you're having, uh, are there things you're excited about? Are there questions you have? Are there questions that maybe Simon could answer? Are there questions that I could answer? Um, are there just anything? It's an open forum and you do that by record a voicemail on your phone, a voice memo on your phone. Uh, if you have an iPhone voice memo app, if uh, you have an Android phone, you have to download something. I'm sorry. I don't know why it's not packaged in. It's one of the reasons why I don't jump to Android. No, we're not going to get into that fight right now. No, we're not. No, no, we're not. No, no, no. Don't you stop the podcast. I know you want to stop the podcast because I'm getting in that fight, but don't you do it. Um, you record a voice memo, and I don't know where these things come from, coffee. Um, you record a voice memo, and then you email it to me, noah at nopristinium.com. I take the voice memo, I put it in the file, we're good to go. Takes me a little more time to assemble an episode that way, but hey, you're worth it. Get them to me by Tuesday. That's Tuesday the 18th, because I need the time to assemble them. I'm going to be up in the Bay Area, going to be babysitting cats. I've got time, but I, 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 I need those voice memos. So again, voice memo, open forum, anything. Also, when you record the voice memo, um, you know the opening of the show, hi, I'm so-and-so in this place, and you're listening to No Persinium, the voice of everything in immersive, send me those too. Even if you don't wanna do the open forum, you've got no question, I want those from all of you. Send them to me, I need a bunch. I scramble every Friday morning. I ask someone on the Slack, can you send me a thing? I that's, that's why Jessica's at the top of the show, can you do me a favor, like right now? Please send me openings. Noah at com. I particularly want them from Patreon backers. Uh Andrew, I really want one from you. Um, and um yeah, there. That's that. Okay. Um that was maybe like the worst opening of this show in a while. <laughs> But this episode's pretty good. Uh, We did record this via Zencaster. So uh, Steve is on his computer. I'm on mine. Steve Boyle is the CEO of Epic Immersive, who have just been killing it up in the San Francisco Bay area. Uh, We talk about the full range of what they do Um, there. How do I put this delicately? I don't. They've got their shit together. Um, Steve Boyle has his shit together. And I want to share that with you. Um, why does that seem to be important to me these days? I don't know. I'm frazzled. Um, that seems to me the best compliment I can give someone is like, you got your shit together. And Steve Boyle does. Um, there, put that on the poll quote. Um, here we go. Episode 107, Steve Boyle, Epic Immersive. Roll the Music. steve hey noah so we're doing this one uh using the good old voip uh, voiceover internet protocol like everyone wants me to spell out the acronym uh but just so everyone knows uh if it feels a little off it's because we're we're talking via skypey type things but steve and i have met enough times now that uh i feel like we can get away with this one um it's it's a little bit more like When I get to talk to Zay uh, over the internet, Um, you are the head, the founder, the CEO of Epic Immersive up there in San Francisco. For those who are not in San Francisco or maybe who are in the Bay Area and haven't encountered you guys yet, what is Epic Immersive?
1: Sure. Uh, so Epic Immersive is a large-scale immersive theater and experience company. Uh, we are probably best known for a show called Matthew Breyer and the Age of Resurrection, which had 100 actors and took place at a 14-acre fake town uh, down in the South Bay in San Jose. And since then, we've done shows uh, in and around San Francisco, and the South Bay uh, started to work in uh, virtual reality and room-scale VR into immersive stories and immersive experiences. We uh, work always in really exciting spaces, be they historical spaces uh, like big fake towns or Victorian mansions, uh, or the warehouses along the bay of Fort Mason, um, or in uh, the secret underground wonderland, the Rathskeller Club, where the Inferno Motel is going to take place in.
0: What's so exciting about just the variety of work that you've done is that You've you've kind of been touching on pretty much every single thing that we talk about in the show on the regular basis And what's frustrating to me is that up until this month. I haven't been able to see any of your work so The Inferno Motel will be the first time I get to check out the stuff you've done because I've been tracking you guys since Matthew Breyer and I was so thankful that appeared, because it was just months and months of, to be honest, me being able to find nothing in San Francisco. This is before Albert was running uh, the the newsletter, which is like long before Jessica was running the newsletter up there. And I was just trying to do it by remote, and all the time I was like, there's nothing going on, or, or the stuff that was going on was sort of underground, because mm-hmm. um, that's the nature of of the, the Bay Area. Um, Maybe we could talk a little bit about that because I do want to talk about uh, the Infernal Motel. I'm very excited about that. But you mentioned the Raskeller Club, and you mentioned that it's sort of a you know there's an underworld there. But there's sort of two meanings in that. So talk a bit about how the Bay the, the Bay Area scene and sort of where how immersive is starting to emerge there.
1: Sure. Um, Well, the the Bay Area has been home to experienced designers forever, Um, but a lot of that's been tied into countercultural scenes and or the Burning Man scene. Um, And uh, yeah, as you hit upon, there seems to be this strong prizing of secrecy um, and or underground events in in San Francisco and in Oakland, um, and it's unclear why that would be other than other than uh, people living double lives, or uh, yeah, or the interaction between between the art world and, and countercultural world. But um, for a long time, a lot of the most exciting. Uh, projects have been shrouded in some degree of of secrecy or mystery, or you only really uh, find out about them if you're kind of in the in group surrounding them. Um, I grew up in this area, but I went off to to New York, and I was a, a theater director and producer. And so I was actually shocked to come back to the area and uh, and uh, encounter that cultural shift. Um, you know, in New York, you're constantly trying to figure out how you're going to get the New York Times to come to your show. And I was surprised to see. Uh, in the Bay, the the larger focus on um, on secrecy and, and sort of playing to the scene, and um, and the community, I think, is becoming more aware of it, and also becoming more aware of its own uh, strengths and the kind of movement that we're all in, and is finding ways uh, to start to start poking its head up uh, out of underground and uh, and start seeing where this can go and and who else we can reach and make this kind of work accessible to.
0: Yeah, the underground aspect in the Bay has always been both one of the great. Treasures of the Bay Area. Uh, there's a god like a y- y- couple of years ago now. Like Albert and I did a show. Uh, it was our first real sit down, and we we were talking about like the Cacophony Society and the Suicide Kings and all that stuff. That's one worth looking up. I don't, sadly, unlike Kent By, I'm not able to summon up the, an episode number for people to go reference. But maybe I'll, I'll dig it out in the show notes. Um, and but as someone who also grew up in the Bay Area, I remember being. And, and grew up in the Bay Area without a car, which, you know, we talk a lot in LA about how can you survive LA without a car? Uh, and, and there's sort of this assumption because of Bart and whatnot that people can survive in the Bay Area without a car and the truth is you can't Because uh, Bart stops at, like midnight So you can't do anything cool if you're a, if you're a kid from like the East Bay who lives off of AC transit lines um, and and no, Knowing that this whole sort of like alternate reality existed uh, almost like it was Wonderland And yet only once in a while would something pop up. But because of the work that was being done uh, out, sometimes literally underground with things like uh, what the Cacophony Society would do, um, there was just such a a strong sense of what was possible. Mm -hmm. And once in a while things would would sort of surface, come up uh, above and you'd go, oh, there's an iceberg out there. And it's like, yeah, and there's there's all this other stuff underneath. what are the things that you're seeing that are emerging up there right now? Who are your, your contemporaries in this growing immersive scene?
1: Sure. Um, I think you got to start with the speakeasy, which is this, uh, you know, giant multimillion dollar, uh, immersive experience slash brand new venue, um, which also is quite literally underground, but, uh, but less spiritually underground. Um, (laughs) which, uh, which I think is both the the largest kind of long running, uh, immersive show. And, uh, in San Francisco, uh, and accompanied by the fact that I think that space is going to take on multiple uses over time, which should be really exciting. Um, you've had uh, We Players, which is an iconic uh, group, maybe more uh, towards site-specific than immersive, but uh, definitely interactive at moments, um, and definitely in experience in itself. Um, and they've uh, they've been around a while, doing really exciting stuff in a lot of beautiful vistas and national parks. Um, Foma Labs is a great group that makes uh, immersive and interactive experiences, um, and is focused. Uh, spends a lot of time working on uh, with with sort of um, corporate clients uh, in terms of how to use interactive experiences um, to tell brands stories or throw parties or team building events, um, which are things that we do as well. Uh, the Headlands Gamble is a project I'm I'm really excited about. Uh, Gabe Smedrisman runs that one, and it is an immersive weekend getaway. Um, uh, a sort of a, a couple's vacation up in Marin that is, uh, you know, a 48 hour long story that you're part of and, uh, and every, uh, and, and everything from your hotel to the little activities you do uh, with your date to the meals you go to um, is, is tied in to uh to a story and a mystery that you're slowly unlocking. Um, those that's probably where I would start the conversation. There's a, a, a pretty incredible Uh, gang of artists i should mention vespertine circus um which as the name implies comes more from the circus world um but creates plot-based experiences and interactive experiences and uh has built immersive shows um so it's a pretty it's a pretty exciting scene um and uh and it's certainly one that's growing all the time and what we try and do is take uh, the things uh from the bay area art world that we think are most exciting and bring them all together uh with uh, in, in kind of one cohesive experience with the story.
0: And you've teamed up with the, the folks at the Raskiller Club, which has kind of an interesting history uh, in and of itself. Um, maybe you could share a little bit about that and, and tell us how this kind of merging of, of two entities to create this new Infernal Motel experience came about.
1: Sure. Uh, well, the Rathskeller Club, the the site that it uh, that it takes place in, um, was uh, originally the creation of the Latitude Society, um, which was uh, uh, sort of a uh, tended as a, an extended, you know, multi-year kind of hybrid between, uh, I guess, an, an ARG and uh, and an immersive experience, um, uh, and that uh, really caught the imagination of a lot of people, and is is responsible for this exciting uh, underground. Uh, wonderland and um, and that project ended prematurely and when it did that uh, that broke a lot of hearts and a couple of the folks that were involved with it and uh, and believed they found something really special um, uh, asked and and offered and and pined to uh, to take the space uh, kind of into their arms um, and keep it alive for the the experienced design community in San Francisco. And, and that handoff was successful. So now you had this uh, amazing space um, that clearly meant a lot to people that really deserved to be seen and experienced, um, and a question of what to do with it. And uh, and one of the first ways that manifested uh, was as a, as a gathering place for the community. And so the Rascal Club hosts, you know, lectures and, and talks and events. And uh, I've spoken with them before. Uh, Uriah with FOMA has spoken with them before. Um, it's sort of a great Meeting place to chat about the scene, and then they've started a, a library, uh, and I mean quite literally a, a library where they're bringing in tons and tons of books on uh, on experience design, programs from all the immersive shows around the world, uh, little knickknacks and collectibles from them, and it's a great place to check those out and read and go back to that well. Um, and it was clearly in need of an uh, experience, um, and that's. You know that's that's how it started. We uh, at Epic usually start with a, an exciting space first as sort of the initial genesis of the project, and usually that comes in the form of some kind of historic space. But in this case, you had this amazing uh, sort, of, sort of a noir, but also interactive, uh, crazy uh, sort of playground fantasia um, under literally under the earth in San Francisco, um, and and yeah, we just started talking, a, kind of a mutual artistic. Uh, admiration for each other, and uh, also a, a pining to keep that space alive, and find uh, projects that could breathe life into every corner of it, and also uh, keep it operating. And um, and I, uh, I think this is the first kind of major such example of that. Um, but really, uh, yeah, yeah, there was a kind of a like-mindedness and a goal to uh, to activate this place, and uh, yeah, keep it alive as long as we can.
0: It's sort of funny to me. Uh, you were talking there about both Raskeller and and thinking back on the speakeasy up there you know san francisco is known for having like a real kind of real estate problem and yet there there are these two i mean in some ways ironically literally underground venues that are are the linchpins for the scene up there whereas like you know in los angeles it's pretty all transitory like there's no there's no there's no physical center of the the immersive scene here. Uh, there's a few sort of usual suspect places that kind of pop back up. Like there's a there's a mausoleum out in Altadena that, that gets a lot of work um, and a couple of spots here and there. But we don't have anything like the Rathskeller. We don't have anything like the speakeasy. And this, this idea that the community could itself maintain something like the Rathskeller um and and watching that process happen, uh watching that conversion from the you know, the Latitude Society into being the Rascular Club. And now, like you said, this is sort of the first real public facing. Um and and the hunger seems to be there too, because you guys like but sold out in an hour and a half or something ridiculous yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. Yes. An hour and a half of tickets being uh, being public. Four hours of them being uh, available to the people who requested early access. We had more people request uh, to get an alert when tickets went on sale than we had tickets to give. Um, and tickets were sold before half of that list uh, even opened up their emails. So they went. Yeah, they went uh, immediately, which was uh, incredibly exciting and, and gratifying because we, uh, you know, we had teased honestly very little about this show other than a little bit about where it was and a couple of a couple of, uh, of keywords and the amount of people who could experience it at once and that was enough to sell out the run so that was uh, that was pretty astounding and really exciting
0: yeah there seems to be a, a great hunger up in the bay area i know that when uh, nick of screenshot did uh, fears what you learned what we learned here mounted it up there it it went it went quickly and and really well And that's been that's been exciting to see by remote just to see this this sort of like pent up desire There's also this this habit of folks in the Bay Area coming down to some of the LA shows, which I'm always like Wait, but like come don't don't go down for just one show. That's that's really far guys Um, And yet I see people doing that all the time Um, For those who were lucky enough to get tickets in this initial batch and I will have some questions about that in a moment um, What what can people sort of expect from the Infernal Motel?
1: Sure. Uh, this is um, an hour-long experience. Six people have been invited. Uh, got received a, a mysterious invitation to uh, to the the underground uh, domain, underworld domain of let's say uh, one of one of history's great, one of the most famous travelers through the the underworld and the afterlife. Um, I'll go ahead and and spoil a little. This is, in fact, based on Dante and the Divine Comedy um, and starts with the question of uh, what happens next and what happens after the Divine Comedy. Um, And so it ends up being a piece about... Uh, what it means for your memories to fade and how you keep the memories of the most exciting moments of, in your life, both spectacular and traumatic, but the most formative memories of your life, how you keep them alive, what it means to let them go, um, and what's really important in life. And that's uh, told and experienced through this fantasia of, uh, of, of memories uh, and the Divine Comedy.
0: Is this a I mean, I don't wanna since what? this is always weird because like walking that tightrope of of wanting to keep the experience sort of pure uh, and and go in knowing next to nothing, um, which is a condition I'm in. This is often why I like to talk to people like after shows as opposed to because I'm making always just say like, all right, you know, boom, spoiler warnings, here we go. But uh, I am curious, are are you is this a is this a design-driven piece? Is it is it a performance-driven piece? Like, what, what are the engines at work here without getting into what the actual material is?
1: Sure. Um, it's both. Uh, it is the most design-driven out of any of our pieces so far. Um, everything we do is very actor-driven, very interaction-driven, very much about... Uh, about, about who you are and the kind of attention that you as an audience member are receiving and the plot arcs of the characters in the piece. Um, this is the very first uh, piece we've done where we will at times uh, intentionally leave you alone for pieces of it. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's kind of attempting to be a synthesis of a couple of different styles of immersive experience. And um, and and as is, is sort of our desire with most projects to take a, a few things we think are cool and uh, make them work in a cohesive way together.
0: No, that you know, this is you mentioned. This is like the most design driven piece you've had so far. This is also correct me if I'm wrong. Like maybe the most intimate piece you've built because it's for six people at a time. Can kind of go in, and yet you know uh, I mean, Matthew Breyer was like. You know, massive. I mean, in your name, epic, immersive. So this is this is kind of a a, a, a twist on what you've normally been doing.
1: That's absolutely true. Um, most things we've done have benefited from a, a kind of a crowd mechanic. Um, and while you've always been able to pull people away into progressively more intimate scenarios and scenes and experiences, be they because they have 15 people in them or or pure one-on-ones. They always sort of went back to these big, full crowd spectacle experiences, almost like an, an epic movie where in one moment you were at the Colosseum in Rome with thousands of cheering people and in the next you were in the intimate scene. Um, this, by virtue of the space, wanted to be a different kind of project. And partly there's a producerial interest in that, in building... Uh, more pieces that, you know, maybe they're not like hundreds of people, but this three-day event to, to pieces that can potentially have longer runs. Um, and then it's also artistically a function of the space itself, uh, which is, is not enormous and is most amazing when it sort of feels like it continues to reveal itself to you and you never quite have your bearings. Um, and uh, And we responded to that by building an experience that is, uh, more psychological and more surreal than what we've done before. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and the, the intimacy of, uh, of only a couple people was really important. We thought long and hard about ways to have it, uh, be purely a one-on-one or a two-person experience and ended up, I think, finding ways that took the best of that, um, and the fun of, of mixing up, uh, this uh this assorted group of of six people whether friends or or strangers together there's a little bit of that uh and then there were none sort of clue style uh intermingling of 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 people all invited to the same party mixed with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of one-on-one uh really intense and, and personal journeys which i'm really excited about
0: that's one of the more interesting spaces too is the small group. And that's something I've been saying for a couple of years is like trying to see if people can crack the nut because you've got the small and the mid-sized group because you've got like, you know, then she has, you know, the 15 people. Um, but this idea, if you can, if you can kind of, move people through the turnstiles, and that's just on a uh, you know, producing level of how many people can we get through at a time, you know, what can we really do with that, um, and, and still have there be all those dynamics that come from a group um, without having to scale up absolutely massively. Has, has, how has this process been for you, you know, artistically uh, working at this scale?
1: Uh yeah, exciting and so different uh because it's much more uh much more ornately and intricately timed than anything we've done before. Um we've uh we we've often been told we're really good at crowd logistics. Um but really we've we've done them with kind of a, a level of of simplicity, you know, in Matthew Breyer, when we want 300 people to travel from 1907 to to the 1920s. Uh, we have a big giant sort of closing ceremony of the World's Fair and then a brass band starts playing and people start dancing and then the brass band starts walking and wouldn't you know it Pied Piper style people follow the brass band and so we've uh, you know we've we've always kind of used uh, actors or music or lights to uh, take a big crowd and break them up smaller and smaller and then bring them back together and then move them together Um and this is is the uh, the first time really because of uh, of again of the intimacy of the space and the desire to have it uh, always be surprising and always be revealing itself um, that uh, that that the actors are are really sort of extremely meticulously scheduled. Um, and and that that sort of that that kind of room choreography that nobody sees is is part of it. And I I think of that as something that's such a staple of immersive theater, right? That's such a big part of like Sleep No More and especially then she fell and Third Rail's work in terms of the kind of endless series of doors and and actor tracks and audience tracks. Um but the reality is it hasn't been something we've felt the need to uh to I guess emulate before. And this space and this uh uh, the feeling of this piece really called for it, um, and so that has been a, a new and fun adventure
0: and you feel like you're getting the the bug for this this scale of work because of it
1: yeah it's it's super exciting, and i love i mean I love the intimacy and sustainability of it uh, and don't get me wrong, I love the big the big giant pieces, but um yeah our our interest is in finding pieces that we can uh, that we can launch and have them have them run. And, you know, that there might be uh, in a a year or two's time uh, at, uh, you know, at a number of different kind of historical spaces and cool venues throughout San Francisco and and San Jose uh, and the Peninsula and Silicon Valley, multiple kind of uh, long running smaller shows. Um, It was this kind of began with an attempt to, uh, you know, we didn't want to do an escape room, um, but we wanted to try to play with something that would have kind of the timing and the show times and the audience sizes of an escape room. Um, and, um, and that's, so that's partly to blame for the, the crowd size and also the kind of amount of shows per day and, um, and the, the times of those shows. Um, and at this stage it is an experiment on that, but, um, but yeah, it's been, I mean, the, the, the response to it's been really exciting. Uh, again, I was really thrilled by the hunger of people for it. Um, and also the, um you know, the steps you could take with that, that you didn't have to sell a million tickets all at once. You could, uh, um, yeah, you could put it out there and, and watch people snatch up whole showtimes. And that was pretty that was pretty exciting. So I'm going to be really fascinated by the audience dynamics, the groups where everybody knows each other, the groups where it's a, a bunch of strangers. I'm actually really excited for what comes of this.
0: Have, has there been lessons you've learned while making the room scale VR stuff that you're sort of pouring in here because we talk a lot about sort of the permeability of the VR world and the immersive world um, and you know here you are working in, in both and here you are now working in you know a, a series of room scale environments uh, while you've also developed room scale VR are, are those languages talking to each other
1: Wow that is an Excellent question, because um, I've thought a lot, of course, about how uh, the immersive stuff that we've created informs how I approach the VR stuff, um, and I think to flip that around and ask how the VR stuff is informing is 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 informing then the immersive stuff is a really fascinating question. Um, that I might need more time to think about, but uh, in some ways, off the top of my head, I don't have a strong i don't have a strong response or, or answer to it yet, and part of that is because um you know one thing we played around a lot with in the v r stuff and and part of the reason we've been using v r is to do things that we couldn't do in immersive theater right that's that's why we do it is to suddenly you're in a room and you put on the headset and you're in this totally different um fantastical space um, or um, yeah. And experiencing that kind of magic Um, versus a lot of times when we're working in purely the real world, it's a a sort of a relentless obsession with uh, uh, obsessing about the space as is and accepting the space as is and asking just what sort of value you can draw from the the wallpaper that's already there and the contours and shapes that are already there. Um as an example, the the reason this piece has a motel motif um is because of some of the aesthetic design of the Rathskeller. You know, there's parts that have uh neon lights that are very reminiscent of of uh of uh, motels. There's parts that have nice wallpaper that feels like a hotel. There's parts that have uh bright shag carpet that feel a bit more motelli. y um, And, uh, and, uh, and there's, there's doors that feel like elevators, and we wanted to borrow from those and create a whole sort of story and aesthetic out of what was already there. Um, and so in that regard, it feels uh, very different from the VR stuff, except to say that lots of times in the VR stuff, I do the same with Unity's asset store. Um, in fact, a number of the VR experiences I've built have been, uh, you know, in much the same way that I go to a, a prop shop and look at, uh, the different weird props they have and build stories out of those, um, to go into, uh, to, to the available assets that you can get either for free or, or, for not very much money and build whole experiences out of, out of those, um, which is kind of a weird reverse model, but it's enabled us to be really economical and also, uh, has been a huge source of inspiration
0: It's funny you mention that because like a a piece came along my feed, which I didn't manage to read because it was over the the 4th of July break, but a headline popped up that was essentially, um, the idea was that, you know, video games are going to become like old movie sets and this idea that like, Oh, like you something like red dead redemption or, you know, mass effect, you know, there, here's all these assets. So like someone will just come along and, you know, stage something else in these settings and, in, 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 in some ways, you can see that you know with the whole you know, total makeover mod thing that's happened for you know decades now, where people you know reskin an entire game uh, you know to look one way or another. Like there's, it's almost no different from oh, everyone's going to go out to that town where they shoot all the westerns <laughs> and just use it for their next shoot. And I think that the old deal there was that. The studio. If you wanted to use it, you just had to add to it. Like that was basically the deal. It's like, oh, you want to come use the town? Fine. You got to build a new building. You build one new building, and then you get to use the rest of the town. It's yours. That's that's how the legend goes, anyway. Um, Or when I first went to like Nani De La Pena's VR lab and she was telling me about, you know, buying assets off of Unity in order to put together her immersive journalism projects and an idea she had that, you know, somewhere down the line, people, you know, news news divisions would just... Buy a bunch of assets and and put together a you know a news event uh, in VR that way, which you can see little little shades of that with for a couple of years there. There were those uh, famous uh, Taiwanese news animations <laughs> that they do out of stories. I, they don't do those anymore, or they don't they don't make it over to this part of the internet anymore. Um, but you know that's a lot of that stuff is off the shelf mm-hmm. material that's been like you know put into machinimas and and go from there. Um, and so, yeah, that's interesting. That the that that part of design—it's like walking down into a prop shop. It's like, what do we got? What what, what can we make with this stuff? Um, it's even virtually theater artists. Always like, what can we beg, borrow, or steal? That's um, that's the heart the heart of theater making: beg, borrow, steal. Um, Stephen, uh, what what's beyond this? Uh, you've got you've got a vision of of lots of things popping up around the bay. Uh, Infernal's sold out right now, but is there is there a possible future for that for this piece? A possible extension in the works? Other 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 works uh, on the near horizon? People can look forward to.
1: Uh, yeah, so an extension is a definite possibility for the Inferno Motel. Uh, we're coordinating actor schedules and uh, artist schedules and space schedules right now, but I'd love to make that show. Uh, more available to, uh, to to more people because there's there's clearly a lot more demand to see it, and I'd like to fulfill that. So I'd I'd say that has a good chance of happening, um, and it's about uh, scheduling right now. And I think it's uh, I think it's it's likely, and my dream would be for that project or a follow up project to be able to uh, to run in that space for a long time. Um, similarly, we have, uh, you know, we've got this ongoing partnership with a, a tremendous historical organization down in the South Bay called History San Jose. Um, it's thanks to them that we worked in our giant 14 acre fake town. Um, and there's a, another spot of theirs, which is this super cool Victorian mansion um, down in San Jose uh, that is going to be, uh, it's, it's right downtown in a, a super cool spot um, and also includes a, Uh, in adobe from 1797 that is the oldest building in the area and uh, both of those spots are are available to us and we are crafting a a project for them as we speak uh, that will go up either later this year or early uh, 2018 depends on on grant timelines and uh, my hope is that that will also i I would expect that one to run for about a, a year as well and really turn you know both of these intimate spaces, the Rouse Killer in San Francisco and, and this uh, Victorian mansion, the Fallon House in San Jose, into uh, into sort of long-running uh, uh, homes for uh, for this kind of work and, and for those projects. Um, we are, uh, uh, you know, as Epic, in addition to those projects, um, we're eyeing an expansion to Los Angeles and uh, just doing a lot of um a lot of uh, uh, corporate events, be they both team building and party building, um, using the same kind of experience mechanics that we've done for the shows. Uh, people will go to them and then approach us and say, hey, can you throw a party for my, um, for my company? And that's been a great way to try, and, uh, to try and make this kind of work more sustainable and, uh, and reach more people. And, uh, and then the VR stuff has come on really hot and heavy, uh, our, uh, our integration of room scale VR experiences and live theater. Um, so later this summer, we're going to be rolling out um, uh, our first kind of ticketed, public-facing um, opportunities to experience uh, that. Uh, as well as uh, in the fall, we'll be rolling out some classes, um, both in immersive theater, uh, in immersive theater, in in creating virtual reality experiences, and doing both at the same time. So I'm I'm really excited about all of those.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. We'll have to have you come down and and do some workshops uh, down here once you've got uh, your sea legs underneath you on that one. Um, And and maybe we'll talk some uh, offline about that as well, because these conversations are always fun to have. Uh, Well, Steve, thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to us about the show, talk to us about Epic Immersive, and um, where can people find you uh, using the magic of the internet?
1: Cool. Uh, Folks should head to epicimmersive.com. And, uh, and, and, anyone out there who's listening and wants to, to find out more about tickets or how they can get involved or, uh, or wants us to create an event for them or wants to act in a show, there's a little get in touch button. And, uh, and I would encourage you to, to write in. I'm super accessible, uh, by email, which is steve at epicimmersive.com. Uh, or even you can go ahead and, and, uh, and find me on Facebook. I will, you're absolutely welcome to, uh, but epicimmersive.com is, is where I'd start. Uh, and yeah, with thanks for hosting this podcast and everything that you do to connect, uh, the immersive scene across the country and in the world thanks a lot Noah.
0: oh well, thank you we uh <laughs> and this is the part where i always quote portal we do what we must because we can um it's a it's a pleasure uh steve you you stick around because we'll talk after the show uh everyone else i'll see you on the other side of the break Once again, I want to thank Steve Boyle for being our guest on the show today and now now we reach the part of the show where I talk um, Not that I didn't just talk a whole bunch in the opening, which of course I recorded you know thirty seconds before I got into this bit um here's what's on my mind what's on my mind? Oh, that's this, that's this I just found the name of the, the segment. Uh, what's on my mind? So the question starts. I ask other people what's on your mind now? The, the question is, what's on my mind? And this was um this was an interesting week here in immersive Land. Um, you know, Southern California has a lot of uh, alternate reality experiences going on, and a lot of them are are deliberately designed. To uh, test boundaries. Um, their themes are about pushing boundaries. Their themes are about uh, desire and betrayal. Um, the, the 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 nature of these experiences, and you know what I'm about to talk about is is not directed at a alternate reality experience. So if you're sitting there going like, "Oh, oh, he's talking about you know this one." No, I'm directing this at all of them, okay? So, um, and, and this is not me putting everybody on notice because what you guys should know, um, those of you who are not, you know, on the the non-creator side of it, is that, yeah, we all talk. The reporters talk, the creators talk, the creators talk amongst themselves, the reporters talk amongst themselves, the reporters talk with the creators, Because we're all trying to figure out the shape of this thing and there are active discussions going on about ethics, safety, consent, bleed, which is what they call it in the LARP world when stuff in game starts to like bleed out into real life because that's a great term. Um, We have these discussions. We should be having them more in public. This is something that Taylor Winters of Haunting and I were talking about in a Facebook chat. Um, I'm coming at this at an oblique angle um, and, and not just Taylor. Like I have this discussion with Brian Bishop. I have this discussion with creators of shows. I have this discussion with actors. And it ranges from things that happen in shows between performers and actors to things that happen at auditions to things that happen um, between participants becoming parts of shows, the lines can get blurry really quickly. And people can draw connections uh, that maybe aren't really there, particularly in a vacuum. It's easy. It's really easy when you're in an information vacuum to start spinning theories about what's going on this is natural this is to be expected and there is nothing wrong with doing that where things get messy is that instead of people talking to each other they talk around each other instead of people um and and I want to also note like if if you're not part of the LA the Southern California scene, like this is, this is not so directed at you, but, but maybe, maybe if you're, you're starting to experiment with this stuff, you know, take this as an abject lesson. It, it can be not easy. And I know, um, I, I'm not a person who, who thrives on confrontation, um, to hear something and then go take it to the source or hear something, um, or, or more importantly, like have something happen to you, and then wanna wanna deal with it. So here's what I want to do right now. I'm opening the door. Um, specifically, if you first, I know I'm coming at this with a couple of different levels because my brain's going in like eight million directions at once. Look, if you hear about something, and you think, whoa, that doesn't sound cool. I would encourage you to gently approach the people who are involved and say, Hey, um, I I have some concerns about what I'm hearing. Um, know that from my understanding of things and of the people who are involved running these events they um th- they have their concerns too they want to know what the perception of things are and they they want that feedback they want the feedback i don't attest to anything else about that but i know that they want the feedback you may not necessarily be comfortable doing that i get that i understand it if something's happened between you and a performer or between you and another participant and you don't feel comfortable talking to that participant or that performer or the people making the show but you feel like you want it addressed somehow um i would encourage you to do this you can come to me okay you can come to me the door is open here if you want it looked into If you want your name kept out of it, you can come to me. I will do those things. Do I feel slightly weird about offering up this free service? Um, yes, it can be a stressor in my own life. Um, cause people already do come to me with, with stories, um, and I've been you know, investigating things as I can because this is not my full-time job, but this is my passion. And as you all know, I'm very dedicated to it, episode 107. Um, you can come to me. I will look into things. I am not offering up my services as mediator or as judge-jury executioner. What I will do is I will look into it. And I will talk to creators and say, Hey, I'm hearing this. Could you walk me through it? That's almost word for word. What I'm going to say It's word for word. What I've done in the past, we meet the creators, myself, other members on, on this side of the board, we meet about professional things boring things that we talk about in the show sometimes like permitting, Um, we are taking steps towards being more professionally organized. And part of that means the addressing of grievances. And I think it's important for you to know that in those discussions I have with creators, I get the honest sense. And I'm slightly paranoid, so I'm always like, maybe I'm being naive. I get the honest sense that they all want to see this form evolve and do better. That in their heart of hearts, what they want is a rising tide that lifts all boats. And sometimes in this world vis-a-vis a scene, a social scene, there are rivalries, jealousies, old things that have happened, things that legitimately can't be forgiven and other things that are grudges, um, that maybe should be forgiven. I'm not here to judge your hearts. I am not, I'm not Osiris or Anubis, but I'm hoping that we can declare a Jubilee and that we can find a way to fix the things that are kind of, kind of making it weird in the LA scene this summer, um, I don't know if New York has those issues because the blurring of the lines on the on the ARG ARXs, um, can can make things strange. And and people often ask questions like, "Well, is this thing that I'm seeing is is that real or is that part of the game?" And and I don't know the answer to that. And I've largely stay away from the games. I don't dive in too deeply. I like to keep up with the the basic plot lines and storylines because I kind of feel like I can't afford to not know what's real and what's a story. And I think that, you know, it, it is really hard when it comes to the idea that the game the fun of the game is not knowing what's real and what's a story because you want to have an authentic experience and you want to really lose yourself in it, but there's losing yourself in it and there's losing yourself period full stop. And for me, that's where the line is emotionally. Um, and whereas I don't feel like it's my job to impose my worldview on those who don't consent to having my worldview imposed on them. Um, I offer that up as, as a verbal metric for you to consider. And I put this out there to all the creators who listen to the show. And I know there are a lot when we come together and we talk and you know, when we're coming together and talking here in the Southland, uh, and when we come together and we talk elsewhere, um, I, I want you to ask yourself that question, you know, where is that line? Are you willing to articulate that line in public? And I would encourage you to do so. Let people know. Let people know. Um, You don't have to reveal, the magician doesn't have to reveal their tricks, but I think it helps for people to know that you're listening, you're thinking about it, um, you're gonna deliver what you promised, but you are very much concerned. Um, you know, that you're acting in, in good faith because I know, I know with, with most of you, all of you, I hope, like, I believe that you are, that's my belief from conversations I've had and seen, um, and I've been reassured a lot lately. But I still always have those questions because I feel a bit of responsibility because, hi, we're leading people to people's doors. And that's the major question I always have. When I hear these things, the first thought in my mind is, oh God, have I led someone into something that is not good for them? Um, I take that personally as people tell me, I take it too personally, um, that's but that's my way of processing it. I'm afraid that's never gonna change. You're just you're just not gonna get that part. Because if I didn't, then I wouldn't do this. So that's the price I pay. It means it's the price we all pay. Um, this has gotten really melancholic, but it should. Um I wanna end this on a positive note. I wanna, I wanna I'm trying to find a way to make this a reboot for going forward. So uh, action steps. One, if you're a participant and you have a question and concern that you don't feel you can address directly to the creators, feel free to come to me. Um, if for some reason you don't like me, go to someone on this side of the table that you do like, um, please, please, those of us on this side of the table, uh, this liminal zone between creator and audience, um, take that responsibility seriously. Um, you know you have a role of investigation i know i know some of you are deep in the games and that's that's hard that's another reason why i keep try and keep myself out of the games is because like if i push forward into the games and ask about the questions that are lying i may get things spoiled for me that would be an amazing reveal uh, so i know that some of you who are who are on this side of the table mean the press side who are embedded reporters as it were you you don't want to do that you guys if you don't want to do that take it to me uh, this is a, this is, this is as much a trade publication as anything. Take it to me. I'll go, I'll go deal with it. Um, uh, because I'm not playing. Um, I'm comfortable with that because I want you guys to have a good time. Like I want you to also have a good time. Whatever good is good. Good, good can mean some harrowing shit, but I want you to have a good time. Um, I want you guys to be feeling comfortable and safe, uh, and fulfilled. But I also, I also need you guys to be like, you know, have that, have a little bit of distance, right? I know that that's, that's very important. You guys have responsibilities. Um, and I think that folks are learning that and realizing that in a community this small, as it is in Southern California, like we're we're, we're, talking, we're talking triple digits on the active players, right? It's small. People know each other. When it's that small, it's it's really easy to um, have an outside impact on things that are going on or just have the perception of an outside impact. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, people do make mistakes. They do the creators. They'll, they'll make mistakes. I believe from what I've seen that a lot of those mistakes are coming from naivete. I'm always on the lookout for things that are coming from maliciousness. And I go into full Batman mode when I think that someone's being malicious. Um, That also means that if, you know, people are out there trying to stir shit for the sake of stirring shit, um, there'll be blowback and it will not be nice. So don't do that. You don't want that. You you really don't want that. Um, And that's not me saying that I'm going to do something. I'm saying everybody talks, everybody talks, it'll get back to you, it'll make things difficult for you. So don't stir stuff, just to stir stuff, have your honest emotional reactions to things and then like, you know, ask people as to what's, what's going on. Um, again, I'm doing this in the morning and I'm maybe not as coherent as I would like to be, and this is a rant. Um but it's also bit's bit's I mean it's been on my mind, it's been on my chest for for a while now. So last bit before we do the credits, if you've got a concern and you don't feel like this like fifth time I've said it and you're like, shut up Noah, come to me, Noah at nopriscinium.com. The door is open. If I don't feel like I can handle it, I will find someone who can. There are other producers in the scene who I talk to all the time. Producers, we're going to talk about this stuff. We're going to hopefully set some some best practices to use the corporate type term. Um, because as we as this stuff gets bigger, the stakes get higher, and the stakes are very high for all of us right now. Um, it's just something we've got to do. All right, <sighs> glad to get that one out there. Um. I, and I'll say this at the end of that. I admire almost, yeah, almost everyone in this community. Um, because it it takes a minute sometimes, but for the most part, I see everyone stepping up to being forthright and mature about this kind of stuff. Um, in the heat of the moment, as a world gets turned upside down, people will have reactions. And, you know, this is drama. <laughs> These are dramas. They're meant to cause that. But the radioactive half life of, of those moments are um, are luckily seeming to get shorter as time goes on. Uh, As we we find a way to navigate through realize that people are just being inducted into some of that stuff like they're going to have more extreme reactions as they go. But a balance and a rhythm is is coming out. We're going to be revisiting some of these issues in the future on future episodes in conversations. We've got some interviews uh, in the process being lined up. We have some panel discussions that I've got targeted. Uh, So expect a lot Uh, over the rest of the summer into the fall about safety, consent, how other communities deal with these things uh, in terms of blurring the lines. And it goes from physical to emotional safety. Um, This is important, um, particularly because this is the easiest thing to do, and this is the danger I have. When you're outside of the situations and you're getting second- or third-hand reports, you don't really know what's going on. And it's easy to assume something worse than has actually has happened, which doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. It just means that you get a story version of it. And for people who are totally outside of these communities, who aren't even like on the periphery of these events, who are looking in, they may just blanch and go, why the hell would anyone do something like that to themselves? Like they do not understand. And for the health of this as an industry, we've got. Two we've got to have mechanisms so that people do understand. And we'll be building those and being formal about those. Okay. I could go on at length. I'm I'm ranting at you now. And I'm 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 sorry. I'm not sorry entirely, but I'm 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 if you didn't sign up, hopefully you just switched off the recorder. Oh, playback machine. Same, di- only are the same thing these days. All right, back to Noah's usual confused self. Well, there we go. Second ending. Ah, <sighs> another sigh. Now, on to the credits. Again. Thank you to Steve Boyle for being our guest on the show. The music for this episode, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Our sustaining backer is Ross Sigworth. You can find us on Twitter at No You can find our Facebook community, Everything Immersive, by going to everythingimmersive.com or searching Everything Immersive on Facebook. The website where you will find everything, including the news, which I was supposed to plug earlier, but didn't because that rant was on my mind is found at nopresenium.com where you will find everything immersive this week, a nice retrospective on the thing. And I recently dropped a uh, article that is an intro to uh, immersive theater, which on any other week would have been the thing that I spent the time ranting about. Um, we've got reviews of Seeing You from Zay. There's a bunch of great stuff that came out on the website this week, and I'm excited about what's coming up next. Uh, Jessica is stepping into a larger role um things are going well uh there's some very exciting announcements next month i hope um, midsummer screams coming up uh, i'm going to be hosting a panel there look it's a busy time it's a busy summer this is a great time to do stuff there's a bunch of shows and weird things happening this week in la there's oh my god so much stuff in new york look at now playing new york city on No persenium um there's the our slack community which is a very nerdy and highfalutin and we talk a lot about design stuff. But if you like those things, we've had discussions about consent and all, and all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, hit me up on, to join the Slack, Noah at um, There's probably five other things I'm supposed to say, but uh, I got to go to work. So be good to each other. Come to me. If there's something going on, if there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Oh yeah, um, and and if someone buys me a jumpsuit, I will wear it. Um, and um, yeah, next week on the show, open forum. Send us your stuff, or it's just me ranting. <laughs> it will be a show. I'm back on the microphone when I go to the Bay Area. Um, and in future episodes, going to include any lesser. We're going to re-record that one. Um, and there's there's a couple other guests I've got targeted. Um, yeah. That's what's coming up in the near future. Uh, Until next time, I'll see you at the show.